What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Open Guard Cast. This is a episode because we have Josh McKinney on from the Ice Hockey Jiu-Jitsu Show. Josh had Jake and I on his podcast not too long ago, so we've been wanting to get Josh on for a while. And uh, Jake is in, in Florida right now competing at the Pan Ams. He, uh, well, I'm sure this will come, by the time this comes out, everyone will know, but he got to the quarterfinals in both the Open class and his weight class. So he did really good, so... Can't wait to get Jake back on, but Josh, how are you doing? I am doing good, man. I'm doing good. How are you? Pretty good. Yeah, I've just been watching pants pretty much all weekend, so there's been some crazy matches, and I feel like it's just it was something that was everyone was like really looking forward to with the whole pandemic and stuff. It was like the first major tournament, so having something like that on flow is like, it's super cool just to be able to follow it the whole weekend. Yeah, man. That's I, I always enjoy watching any jujitsu. Uh, so quick question before we dig deep, are sure. we, are we going to be honest with people why I'm on the show right now, or are we going <laughs> to keep that a secret between just you and me? Let's keep it a secret. Okay. Just okay. Because yeah. So we, well, we can kind of reveal most of it. So we're supposed to have a guest on. We won't say who we won't name names. Josh Let's say this. A- Let's say this. He, uh, is better than Josh. Okay. So I barely. know that leaves a lot Dude, of people. No, but. barely. He's barely better than you, and he's much better than me. But <laughs> Josh is supposed to come help me co-host for that episode because Jake's out of town, and it was going to be really cool. We were going to kind of do like this, you know, cross promotion between I Suck at Jiu-Jitsu and Open Guard Cast, and and all that. But we had to reschedule. But you are more than welcome to come on when that particular guest does come back on. So I will let I, you know look, when that I know, happens. I know that it all—it was just all a secret. You know, there was that guest was never coming <laughs> on. It was just about getting me on the show. You didn't have to lie to me. I would have done it. I don't do anything else. I would have just been like, oh yeah, I would love to be on. You know, it was—it was, it was that, weird that you felt the need to lie. That was a—that was a pretty good guest to lure you into. So <laughs> I, I tried to find a really big name. I was like, who is Josh going to come on for? And yeah, that was, that was the first person I thought of. So that was smart man, you got me there. <laughs> So yeah, like I was saying, we've been wanting to have you on since pretty much we started the podcast, and then you had us on your episode as as guests, and that was super fun. And we just kind of wanted to wait a little bit since we had already had like a pretty pretty awesome conversation, just because people had heard that not too long ago. But but yeah, so thanks again for coming on. We really appreciate it. Yeah, of course, man. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So we talked about on your podcast how you and I met at a tournament in the Midwest. Um, I think it was called Cozen, right? It was, it was like a pro yes. jujitsu event, and uh, I remember meeting you and your dad, and uh, you guys were just super cool. So, do you want to talk a little bit about like starting jujitsu, like coming up with your dad training as well? Yeah, man. I um, so I started jujitsu uh, actually because my mom made me. Uh, I was overweight. I didn't want to do it, and she said, you know, hey, you're gonna do something. I went to a private school. We didn't have any sports, and so I started training jujitsu. I was 14. And um, I did the first class. My dad had actually trained a little bit, maybe for like uh, maybe like once a week for like a year uh, in mm-hmm. a different gym. Uh, and it was just a little too far for him. And he just really wasn't captivated by it at the time. He enjoyed it. Um, and we had done some self-defense based stuff when I was a younger kid, like from the Gracie in action uh, videotapes. The VHS and, tapes. Yeah, yeah. The VHSs. <laughs> um, and... You know, like, so we did all that, and then when I went into my first real jujitsu class, I didn't really know what to expect, but I had a lot of fun, and uh, 
my dad after like on our way home, he's like, oh man, I want to do this with you. He's like, I don't know. I might be too old. I don't know. I think I want to say he would have been 47 at the time because he is he started. 50. Yeah, yeah. When he started, he's 59 wow. now. Um, and we've both been training consistently uh, for uh, 12 and a half years. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, so that, that sounds right. He was 46 or 47 and he wasn't sure if he was too old. He started doing it and he even up until blue belt, man, I remember him always questioning, um, even as a blue belt, like, can I, can I physically do this? Can I, uh, yeah. is this too much for me? And, uh, but it was cool. I'm so happy that he stuck with it. He got his black belt six months before I did. And awesome. so, yeah, so it was really <laughs> cool that, you know, we, um, you know, we're both black belts now, man. Yeah, that's sweet. So you guys had a round, like you fought and then whoever won got their black belt first. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, uh, it was just more who was, uh, was, was likable, you know, that was, that was how we got it, you know? No, he, so he had always been, he had always been, um, like I said, he had trained for about a year. And so he got his blue belt six months before I did. And I'm pretty sure he was always about six months ahead of me when it came to promotions. I think he, he got every belt six months before I did. That's awesome. Yeah, well, I mean, I could tell like right away just meeting you guys that your dad was like super awesome person, super supportive. He wasn't one of those, you know, trophy parents or <laughs> helicopter parents who was like pushing you and making you do stuff you didn't want to do. I mean, that was at least the vibe that I got. You can, of I'm course, sure. man. And yeah. th- he was doing it with me. So that that's yeah. the big difference is like uh, most of the time – when you get uh, what we call at our gym the dadagers that are like um, always trying to push their kids, it's because they they couldn't or they didn't. You know what I mean? Maybe they yeah. they could have done it, but they just didn't commit to doing whatever it is. Like right, you see it in high school football, right? Oh, I yeah. I never got to play in college, so I'm gonna pressure my son to play in college. You know? Yeah, and it's kind of, it's it's funny talking about it, but it's also kind of sad because like. For you, jujitsu, it became your life, and it's like giving you so much. You can tell with like your academy, your podcast, like everything. But imagine if your dad was crazy strict and made you compete at every tournament, and you fell out of love with jujitsu because of that. So that would, I mean, that's that's a tragedy to me. So like, I totally agree. It's sad, but like, do you want to talk about like, because obviously you're a school owner, so you see these dadagers and momagers. Uh huh. <laughs> so like, what's the difference you feel like between like the kids who have like supportive parents who kind of, you know, appreciate and push them towards whatever goals they have versus the ones who are like, you have to be a world champion. You have to train this many times a day. Like, um, What's so, the difference in the kids when they're younger? So I would say this. I have um, right now, I have a really, really great group of parents. Um, yeah. I really, really get along with well with them. And the biggest thing is they just let me do my job. You'll find with the people that don't, um, the the people that are uh, the datagers, they (laughs) don't let you do your job. They, um, you know, they they have these opinions on how their kids should be training and stuff, and they're always telling you that. But the problem with that is, uh, like, dude, I I did this when I was a kid. I, you know, and like the example I always give. Um, to get to kids is coming up from 14 to 18. I was competing like every weekend. I was competing so much. And it's because I wanted to, though, you know, my yeah. parents were able to pay for me to do it, but it's because <laughs> I wanted to. Right. Yeah. And um, in competing out of all the people I fought from when I was 14 to 18, I know 
um, for sure two of them that still do jujitsu. Wow. And yeah, and it's like all these other kids, they don't do jujitsu. So the goal when you are under 18 to do jujitsu is not to be great. It's to show up and to keep showing up, right? It's to keep yeah. doing jujitsu. And so uh, that is, man, that's one of the, the most frustrating things is that these uh, that these parents make it not fun for their kids and the kids, you know, maybe the kid wouldn't have been a world champion. Maybe the kid would have just done jujitsu their whole life and it would have been great for them. Exactly. Uh, but the parent ruins that for them. Yeah, that was actually, it's funny you mentioned that because that was going to be my next question. Like, what do you think is like a good set of goals for someone who, you know, their parents aren't pushing them, but they, they still want to have like some sort of motivation to train and stuff. Like maybe they're younger, they don't, you know, they don't really know about the worlds or whatever, but you would probably just say it's good to just show up every day, train, make it like a consistent practice and just like stick with it for the most part. I would say make sure that jujitsu isn't a job for your kids because, um, you know, I know pretty much anybody listening knows that jujitsu is, has all these benefits, right? Uh, simply by being there, you absorb these benefits. And so, um, you know, like uh, my wife and I talk like, uh, you know, just like in the future, 20 years from now, when we decide to have kids and we said, you know, and we were talking about it and she said, well, what if, what if, um, uh, what if our son is a douchebag or our daughter is a douchebag? And I said, you know, Kick honestly, him out of the house. yeah, exactly. Well, no, I, I say, honestly, uh, if our kids grow up on the mats, you just don't tend to. Uh, you don't tend to see kids that are douchebags that grew up on the mat, you know, it it obviously can happen. Um, but, uh, you know, it just, those kids are fewer and farther in between because no matter how tough your kid is, they're going to lose and you learn so much in that. And, uh, you get so humbled by that. For sure. So I wanted to go back to and talk a little bit more about your dad because you mentioned that like when he was forty like 47, you said he started, Uh, I believe it was 47 at the, at the youngest, it was 46. Yeah. So you were saying that he was like questioning whether he was physically capable of doing it. And jujitsu is definitely tough on the body, but your dad's a personal trainer, right? Like he's working out all the time. Yeah. So that's kind of, I think that's kind of funny because like most people do think like that, but your dad was already in like amazing shape. So that just kind of shows like how tough jujitsu really is. Even someone who works on themselves every day physically can still have issues like that. I would say this too, though. My dad was not in the shape that he is now, even at 59, when it comes to uh, general health. Uh, mm-hmm. My dad was stronger at 46 than he is now. You know, he was yeah. uh, probably 30-ish, 40-ish pounds heavier um, oh, wow. when he started jujitsu because he was just a bigger, he was still a, a bigger old man strength guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, and now, uh, man, I wish I could, I wish I knew what website, um, do you guys do like show notes at all? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So there's some, somewhere that he put on his website, I'll, I'll, I will send you it. Um, he recently did like a, a 12 week, um, like kind of weight loss diet health challenge, uh, mm-hmm. for a bunch of his clients, but he did it with them. And, yeah. uh, I think, you know, he shredded at <laughs> 59 years old and, um, not on TRT or anything like that, yeah. right? Um, just a completely natural, uh, shredded guy. And so now he's probably healthier in the sake of, uh, for, in the instance of like being able to train and be good to his body and, 
you'll hopefully live a lot longer because of that. Mm -hmm. So we talked a little bit about the kids. Like, what do you think about people starting at a later age like your dad? Like, I'm sure you have a ton of students like this, too, who maybe start like like your dad in their 40s or even people think they're old in their 30s. But like, Uh do do you feel like it's kind of similar to the kids where you don't want to put a lot of pressure on yourself? You want to be consistent, make this like a fun, you know, habitual type of practice. Is it kind of the same? Uh, absolutely. So I have a, um, I've referenced him on my podcast before. He's one of my students. His name is Bob. And, uh, I always will send out like these, you know, every, maybe once a month, even just kind of more, um, motivational type stuff to my students, like some type of video, just saying, Hey, this is what you guys should be doing right now. This is what you should be focused on. And, uh, one time I did one about saying like, uh, you should have goals, uh, with jujitsu and they can be as simple as, uh, pass a certain guy's guard in the gym or yeah. uh, compete, you know, even if it's not win, just to, to, to go out and compete or something like that. Uh, but, you know, I said, you know, I encourage you guys to tell me what your goals are if, if you have them. And Bob, uh, I think he's 58. Uh, maybe he's younger than that. He's going to be offended if, I, if he's younger than <laughs> like that. Like he's 76. But, he's like 43. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he's 20. Uh, but no, he, you know, uh, he told me, he's like, yeah, my goal is I want to be able to train until I'm 65. And I was like, man, that's a really cool goal. And so um, when you do something like that, it sounds like a simple goal uh, for you and I, because, you know, uh, I'm 26, you're what, 30? 31. 31, yeah. And so like for us, <laughs> that old. sounds, yeah, that sounds like, a, oh, <laughs> you can train, you'll be fine. And, yeah. uh, you know, for but for him, it's like, um, it gives him something to focus on. Anytime he's learning a new move and it's hard on his body, it doesn't match up to what his long-term goal is, which is to train till he's 65, right? And so that's like um, the biggest thing with jujitsu, I think, is to focus less on the accomplishment of like, oh, do this, you know, uh, get to this point or get to black belt or do whatever. And just like, hey, um, make sure you stay in the jujitsu and you get to absorb all of the good things, all of the the good fruit of jujitsu. For sure. So for you personally, obviously you started when you were young, but like at what point did you start to have goals? Like, was there a point where you were like, okay, I've been training consistently. Now I want to have like specific competition goals or specific like technique goals. Like how did your goals kind of come to fruition as you grew up in jujitsu? Man, they have, they have like um, come and gone and grown uh, kind of, but for me, I just, I just enjoyed jujitsu, you know, and I had always said this, that like, you know, I may have goals of competition and stuff, but I really consider myself um, just a really intense hobbyist when it comes to (laughs) jujitsu, you know, because um, I, if you said like, Hey, you can never, um, you know, you can never compete again, you can never train again, or you can never coach again. Um, and you have to choose one of those that you can't do without a doubt, it would be com- never compete again. You know, I enjoy competing. I really love competing, but not even comparatively to getting to train and not even comparatively to getting to coach. Um, those are the things that I really truly get like, um, uh, uh, fulfillment out of right i don't mm-hmm. you know i when I, I i always say like with competition like i i think a lot of times people like look at like oh yeah you know i'm gonna win this jujitsu competition for my team or for my family and stuff like that but in truth 
like if I'm competing, it's for selfish reasons. If I'm competing right. uh, and I'm focused, you know, I fight, I have, a, I have a, a super fight next weekend. There is no way that I could put the amount of training in necessary and still be as good of a coach uh, to my students. Obviously, as an example for competing, I think I can be. But like um, when it comes to being fully aware after a really hard day of training, it's hard to be. You know, it's hard to be completely yeah. cognizant. And so uh, it's important to like recognize that when you're competing, it it, it is kind of for selfish reason at at, sure. you know, at some point. And so that's like um, with my biggest goals with jujitsu. I don't really have, I, I would, I want to, my big, my only competitive goal is to make the podium at Worlds. Uh, but mm -hmm. that's like kind of been something I've wanted to do. It sucks that it's black belt now. And now, you know, you gotta, you know, you gotta do it as a black belt, but. Uh, You've made yeah. it at PANS though, right? Yeah, I, I, I won PANS as a blue belt. Um, and, uh, but yeah, that's like, you know, now it's, if you're going to do it, you're going to do it at black belt, which is exciting. You know, it's fun that yeah. it's like that, you know? And so, uh, sure. but that's really the only competition goal that I have. Um, you know, I plan on accomplishing it. If for some reason, um, I didn't accomplish it, I know that I would not look back on my life and be like, Oh man, I, I missed it. You know? Yeah, I, I, for sure. No, that makes perfect sense. And something you mentioned too, about like, being a good coach versus being, you know, kind of having that period of time where you're selfish as a competitor just kind of reminded me of something. Like, I feel like a lot of times the best coaches, when they're teaching a class, they're, they're not training. They're kind of watching everyone. They're coming up with, like, specific fixes for each individual's game. It's, like, it's very difficult and it's definitely hard work. It's just, like, a different kind of work. It's more mental work than physical. But do, would you agree with that? Do you think, like... Because I know my coach, like, obviously he's a super high-level competitor, Marcio Andre. But, like, there's times, like, when, you know, he'll train three times in a day. And then at night, he'll kind of have, like, a class where he can just focus on coaching. Or, you know, it just kind of comes in, in waves depending on what competitions he has coming up. But he does that a lot where he'll take the time and just watch everyone's game. And he's, like, extremely detail-oriented. Can usually give people, like, a very specific fix that's going to make their games grow so much. So do, do you kind of resonate with that? I do, man. I think that, uh, you know, I guess I look at it. Um, I like having the balance because there are times I'm sure there are classes where Marcio trains with you guys, right? Yeah. Yep. And so yep. I think if a coach is physically capable of doing it, I think it is great to have the balance uh, because there are coaches that don't train with their guys at all. And I think that mm. their guys, um, uh, I don't know if it is just more of a mental thing. Like they, they, they feel like, um, man, I wish I got to train with my coach. Uh, yeah. or if it is just a thing where I guess when they, when they look at it, they really just enjoy that getting to strive for something right when they get mm -hmm. to roll with their coach. Um, but then, um, and I guess it too depends on the person there. I have guys that I feel like get the most out of when I actually roll with them and then I'll point out things um, after yeah, a role, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. um, and then I have guys that do better by asking me questions while I'm walking around when everybody's rolling. Hey, I'm struggling with this. Why does this keep yeah. happening? You know? And so, uh, this is a, a side note, really funny story, uh, from last Wednesday. I had two guys training. Um, one is a purple belt and he is, has a white belt in his closed guard. And so I am trying to coach 
the white belt into getting to stand up to break the guard open because he's trying to uh, break the guard open with like a belt grip and he's trying and he's not working. And mm -hmm. so I'm like, control that sleeve, control that sleeve and then stand up. And so he stands up and you would, anyone would think like, Hey, you know, you have 40 pounds on the white belt and you're a purple belt and he's a white belt. I'm directly coaching him. Like you don't even have to let him, but maybe take it a little easier on him. <laughs> and this purple belt hit a, uh, like a pendulum sweep and slammed this dude's face right on the floor oh and was God. so happy about it. <laughs> was like, was totally, and I was like, dude, that was, that he was. He opens his gear up. Oh, ah. Yeah. <laughs> I like, I can't believe that you just did that to this guy. He just canceled his membership. Oh and, my uh, God. Yeah. Poor guy. He was the guy whose goal was to train until he's 65. Yeah. He's yeah. like, I knew about the goal. Mine was the opposite. <laughs> yeah. My goal was to not get you to train until you're 65. That's awesome. Yeah. That's funny. So, so do you, so you started coaching like pretty young and your academy opened when you were, so like, was that, I don't want to say, did it like get in the way of your competition goals? Cause like you said, your competition goals have kind of been like fluid, you know, they haven't been maybe you haven't had like very, very specific goals. Like obviously you wanted to get on the podium at worlds, but did that like change anything about like your own training? Obviously you could probably train less, but like, did it change anything about like your mindset towards training for competition and all of that? I would say this is a total black belt answer that I'm about to give. Just so you, know, <laughs> you know, you ask a question and I like pretend that you ask a different question or I give you an answer that you didn't expect. Total black belt, you know, total. I should just be like, oh, yeah, it was way harder, but I'm not going to. OK, so this is this is what I would say. Um, in order to accomplish my competitive goals, uh, in my mind, at least, I had to uh, start my own school. Um, because, uh, it, it, basically what, what I mean by that is now I am at a point and this is what I had hoped to be. I hope to get to this point, but now I'm at a point where I only teach, um, seven classes a week. Um, I'm bringing on a general manager for my gym to kind of run the day to day stuff. And I'm able to, pay my mortgage and live my life and train now. Right. But it's, I'm only able to do that because, uh, I, I am financially secure to do that. Right. Uh, I, I wouldn't, um, I, I mean, I could have, I, my parents would have been fine if I just lived at home forever and just train, right. Train jujitsu. Yeah. Um, and I could have done that. Uh, but for me, that was just not a desire that I had. So I needed, I needed to put in that work, at 22 years old, so then at 26 now, uh, I am able to fully focus as a black belt if I choose um, on competing, right? Um, and that's what I like. That's what is cool about it is I put in that work as a purple belt, and I did. I will say I did well uh, as a purple and a brown belt, but I will yeah. say like. Um, it was really hard cause I was a personal trainer full time and then I was running a jiu-jitsu school. And so, uh, coming out and, and trying to compete on top of that was so much and, um, it was discouraging at some points, but I look back now and like the amount of free time that I have to be able to put in really hard training. Um, and I didn't have the same training partners, the caliber of training partners back then that I do now. Uh, and so 
like I look at it and that was the, always the goal was to get here to be able to focus on competition now, um, you know, while I really get to my athletic prime really. Right. And so, sure. um, you know, that's kind of, like I said, black belt answer, not, you know, kind of, kind of changed up the question or whatever, you know, but no, uh, it's, no, it's awesome. And, and I think you have a really unique story. I feel like, because most high level black belts, I feel like they start training maybe around the same time you did. They go through the whole like competition cycle and then maybe they want to open a gym when they're like 30 or something like that or mid thirties, like after they retire from competition. So I don't know. Do you know of any other guys who are similar to you? I'd be interested to hear their stories too. Um, man, I, I don't know. I would say, uh, except this guy has had much better success as he was coming up and he did leave. Uh, but like, um, I feel like uh, JT Torres is still pretty young um, to be, mm -hmm. uh, you know, to have a school that he has. You know, I don't know how his school does or anything like that. But, mm -hmm. uh, you know, like, I think it was just, you know, I, I had, I was surrounded by people that gave me really good advice when I was young. You know, this wasn't like I came up with this idea. <laughs> just really, I had a great, um, had a great group of people around me and I got. Um, my coach's coach and my coach both have really, really successful jujitsu businesses. And so I knew that was something I wanted to do. And I was a, you know, 22, I'm, I was like, uh, right at the end of purple belt. And so it was like, I knew I wanted to, maybe I was 21. Was I 21 when I started my school? I don't know. I was some, I don't, I couldn't tell you. Uh, I want to say I was 22, but, uh, uh, I am, you know, I, I kind of, realize like oh you know you can do both my coach um he opened his gym fought in the ufc and won pans all in the same year and oh so God. yeah which is ridiculous right That's insane. and yeah. so um and, and so like you know i guess i didn't want to limit myself because i got to witness that i did mm. i was like you know i can run a school and still train you know i can run a school and still try to set myself up for the future and so yeah. um you know, i was really really fortunate to be around guys that were able to do that for sure so you mentioned working as a personal trainer too like when you first opened the school like that must have been crazy i want to hear more about that because like personal trainers they have crazy schedules like i know a lot of times they like it's not a normal nine to five like if someone wants to train and you have a client it's 8 30 or whatever like it, was it difficult to like manage that like crazy schedule and try to find a way to get your jujitsu in? It was horrible. Uh, <laughs> so the reason it was horrible was because when I opened my school, um, I had uh, we 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 had a group of guys that like trained in my garage for a while. Mm -hmm. um, the sucky thing is when I opened my school, those guys, um, one of them moved one of them had a baby and stopped training and so um, a guy that's now uh, a black belt at my school he still stayed with his name's justin huff he's um one of my uh one of my best training partners still you know um and he has always been there and so be, but besides him and my dad who was in his 50s i didn't have yeah. any training partners for my night classes um so i had to get my training in during the day and so um, i would go to my coach's gym uh, during the day. But the tough thing was my schedule was all really early morning. Mm. And so I would basically go from like five to like 10 or 11. 
um, doing personal training. And then I would train and then I would go home and try to sleep for an hour and then I would go and teach. And so and I would teach kids and then adults and then wake up and do it again. And so it was really hard to get good sleep during that time. That was like yeah. the toughest thing. And um, and like it, it just got to this point where it was like I would I would do it one day. Uh, or I would get one day where I'm like, man, I don't have to work this day, I think, uh, uh, per week, right? I don't have to work Tuesdays. I think I could take off Tuesdays because I'm making enough from the gym now. And it was like super slow. And it got even to when, um, uh, you know, I got married uh, almost three years ago. Um, it'll be three years in like a month. And um, when I got married, I was still doing like three days a week of personal training and then now having a wife, still doing the same training. And it was, it was like, it was starting, I was starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel. And, uh, I still remember when I like, I still remember like vividly when I did my first week where I didn't have to wake up early in the morning anymore. Um, cause I didn't have any more personal training and like, I would wake up and I would be like, I don't even know what I'm going to yeah, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> exactly. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do that. I, mean, I really think that that was um, part of the reason that I started a podcast and that I, uh, you know, I have um, the production company Simplifying Jiu-Jitsu. Like, that's the reason I did those things was because I had never had free time and I had ideas of things that I wanted to do. And then all yeah. of a sudden, like, I could get in really good training, teach at my gym and have free time. And it was this like... Uh, it was kind of bizarre. It was like something that I, I just didn't anticipate uh, being so much fun, you know. Sure, and it's pretty cool too because like when you had that free time, you didn't just use it to play video games. Like you used it to like <laughs> build your brand, build the the gym's brand, and like really, I feel like you have a really awesome like social media following. So do you feel like that has been like a big component to the success of your gym too? Like the way you've marketed yourself online and. Just, I mean, obviously you use like a lot of humor, you're super funny and, you know, people like to engage with that type of content. But, um, do, do you feel like that was a, like a big, a big part of the reason why you succeeded? The biggest reason that I succeeded, I can, I can, like went in business, um, without a doubt is like, I kind of referenced it before was just having the right people around me. Um, mm -hmm. I had, uh, like my coach Kyle, who, like I said, he, he was always, not only did he have a really big gym, not only was uh, you know, is he a really good business guy? But he like would message uh, message us and be like, "Hey, do you guys want to um, meet and go over your business stuff and like maybe I can help you with stuff like before training on you know next week and stuff." So it was like you know getting people like that and then always having um, coaches in business was really really important because like you know you would get a, you would you know I would do these coaching calls and they would say, "Hey." you need to be advertising. And I'd be like, I don't even know what that means. Like, you want me to get a billboard? You know what I mean? Like, no one's going to come. You know, like, I, what What do you mean? And then, like, um, well, you need to be learning that. And so, like, having people that always did that and then um, always being bad at video games really makes it easy to not play video games. I love playing video games. Taping killed every round. Dude, I do. I honestly, they just cause so much anger for me because no matter what game it is, I'm not good at them. And so like, uh, it, that made it really easy to not be like super into playing video games or not doing other things. It's like, 
Um, it just it just happened that the thing in like business that I'm pretty good at is is like learning. And so I was like, well, at least I'm getting success out of you know doing this. I you know I'm not getting shot and then some <laughs> ten year olds talking about my mom. You know, like I just. That, that's really like the reason that, you know, it's, I've always been fortunate in that was that, uh, um, I had the right people around me and I enjoyed just kind of learning from them. For sure. And I don't want to knock video games cause Jake is like a huge gamer and like <laughs> gaming, like it's actually a skill. So yeah, nothing against people who play video games. I, and, <laughs> me and Josh like, just suck at them. So I was I just going to say, I, no, I do. I absolutely have stuff against anyone who plays video games. Cause I know at some point you killed me and you talk trash <laughs> on my mom. I know you did. And so to act like you didn't do that is so wrong. You know, you know that you were saying like, Oh, <laughs> <laughs> no, like, there's you know like uh it i won't i won't go any more in depth into how much i hate people that kill me in video games i, <laughs> I used to play halo in college so um, i think halo was it halo two or three came out when i was in college and i hadn't started jujitsu yet so i was like i had a phase where i played halo a lot but that was the only game i ever got like relatively into every other game i just kind of and, push to the side <laughs> and that's what ruins you is being good at it when i was in um when i was in high school yeah, i didn't have a job i just trained jujitsu and then like me and all my buddies that were all the same age all we did was train we would skip school and then like <laughs> just train and then play uh uh play modern warfare 2 and we were so good at that game because we literally were on it all day and yeah. then like when i stopped having time to do that then I'm like comparing like, dude, you know, 15 year old Josh would have wrecked you and then would have <laughs> talked about your mom. And so it's just that's why that's why I hate video games is because I, I felt that I had the taste of victory and now I can't get it. <laughs> yeah. So it's very easy to distance yourself from. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I wanted to talk to you, too, about uh, about your instructionals, because you started putting out I think you have a BJ Finax one on the knee cut. And, well, I know you do. And then you mentioned that you have a media company now, Simplifying Jiu-Jitsu. So I've seen you put out some content with that as well. So do you want to first talk about like how the BJ Finax instructional came to be? OK, so BJ Fanatic. So like I said, I'm very good at having the right friends, okay? You know, having the right you – know, sometimes – you know how they say uh, it's all about who you know? It's not uh, what you know, it's who you yeah, know. It's not what you know, it's who you know. I would be willing to say that in jujitsu, that is um, that has been the mantra for me is I've just known the right people and I've just been lucky enough uh, to have the right people put into my life at the right times. Uh, but uh, the Fuji World Pro – they have a deal with BJJ Fanatics. If you win um, their main event, you get uh, $2,500 in a um, – they like a, they, they fly you to Boston and they oh, have wow. you do this. Yeah, have you do this uh, this instructional. And Dude, so you say, awesome. oh, man, that's really cool. Josh, you won the instructional. No, I didn't. <laughs> My coach won the instructional. <laughs> and they said, hey, you know, when do you want to go? And he's like, oh, I'm going to go out this weekend. And they go, well – uh, you know, do you want to bring, uh, bring somebody to do the moves on? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll bring Josh. And so he asked me to do it. Well, then they messaged him again and say, Hey, you're going to be here for two days. Do you want to film a second instructional? And my coach being a really good dude was like, Hey, Josh, I'm going to ask them if, if you can film one of them. 
And so, you know, not by any skill of my own or by any <laughs> anything of my own. It was just knowing the right guy. And they were like, oh, yeah, you know, for sure. And so they, um, you know, I was able to do uh, a knee cut instructional BGJ Fanatics. Actually, at the time, you know, I did it. And BGJ Fanatics just does a crazy good job. You know, they yeah. just, you know, they have like hundreds and hundreds of instructions. And so... Uh, for me, I like I went in and I was like, man, I, I I wonder if I could do this on my own. You know, I just uh, I wonder what what goes into it. And, and so just that was kind of like what sparked my curiosity. Well, right after that, um, the pandemic started, my gym gets closed down. And I think and we were fortunate enough to have enough money saved to be fine. Right. Yeah. Uh we just didn't, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't as big of a deal for us as it was for some schools. Uh, but uh, it gave me a lot of free time and it showed me that, you know, I kind of have a lack of diversity in what I do. You know, um, I have a brick and mortar business and that's what I have and that's all I can do anything with. Right. And yeah. so uh, for me, I just said, you know, I think it's, I need, I, I think I want to diversify. I said, the idea is I'm going to go out and I'm going to film my own instructional and I'm going to see if I can do anything with it. Um, you know, I went and found, you know, there were so many free courses and so much free content at the time on how to do that because so many other people had that idea, whether it was a knitting instructional or <laughs> cooking or whatever. Right. For sure. And uh, so for me, I, I, I did a, a Kimura course on uh, the essential It's called the Essentials of Jiu-Jitsu Kimura. Um, I plan on doing a bunch of other Essentials of Jiu-Jitsu um, courses. Uh, and I made a little bit of money off of it. And I was like, oh, I could I could do this. And so as we started to progress, um, my uh i have a brown belt that i have two schools I, I didn't mention that but i have a brown belt that runs um uh my other school he does a really good job and he's actually um does production type stuff for his job and so oh, awesome. um, i brought him on and we uh together and then um my dad actually invested in in the company and so we uh, the three of us have been running this company we have uh, three courses out now. So my coach did a course called simplifying takedowns. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was just excellent. And then we just released, uh, my friend, Nick Sanders, who just, uh, who just did got double bronze at, uh, at pans this, um, this weekend at master two. Um, he just did, um, he's a, uh, a vet and he did, uh, the star spangled spider guard. And so that was the, that was our other course. So we, you know, we have three courses now and it's like, it's starting to grow and it's cool because, um, it makes me money and it makes, um, you know, that my partner's money, but also like, uh, it provides this, this way of making money for my friends that we bring on to do these, these courses too. And so, uh, that's awesome. Yeah, so it's been really cool. Uh, you know, it's just starting out right now. You know, we've only been around for like three months, and uh, I think we're going to continue to grow and uh, you know continue to put out really good content. And hopefully, um, help a lot of people uh, learn jujitsu and simplify their jujitsu. Yeah, and I think the the concept of it is really cool too because jujitsu, 
people say like like you'll hear like Hodger Gracie say like oh jiu-jitsu's easy like it's us it's the people doing it that are stupid or whatever <laughs> there's some quote like that but like jiu-jitsu is really complex there's so many positions there's so much to learn like I've heard Eddie Bravo say that it would take like three lifetimes to master every position in jiu-jitsu and I actually agree with that like uh, I feel like yeah. you can become a master in one lifetime of you know a small subset of jiu-jitsu but to really master every position when you really think about it it's like it's completely overwhelming. So was that was that part of your motivation too? Like wanting to give people like a good foundation across like multiple positions? Um, yeah. So basically like I, I would have all these guys on on my podcast that were like really, really high level jujitsu people. And mm-hmm. I would ask them questions about training and teaching low level people, um, people yeah. that aren't phenomenal athletes. And honestly, a lot of the times their answers sucked. Their answers were like, they were, they were like, oh, you know, just keep trying your best. And I'm like, dude, that's, that's not a good answer. You know, like that's, that sucks. You know, um, keep, you know, keep drilling your shrimps. And, uh, for me, it was just, I was like, that's, that's really not, you know, that is, you're taking something um, and, and telling these guys that it's easy because you like verbalized a really simple thing to do, but that wouldn't help them. And right. so uh, that is where the the idea that like maybe we could structure this training differently, maybe, and that's something I already did at my gym. Um, mm-hmm. And I just feel like having um, any type of system makes things so much easier for people. Yeah. Um, you know, like I, I just I look at like the way that we train it at my gym and I have guys get good, especially from white to blue belt level, like really, really quickly. And um, and they're not training any obnoxious amount or anything like that. And so I was like, maybe we could uh, change the 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 training methodology. You know, I, obviously the technique is great. There's so much good technique out there, right? But mm-hmm. how do you know which technique to work and how do you get better at that technique? And so yeah. that was why we started um, Simplifying Jiu Jitsu. It actually started out as an ebook that I wrote uh, before mm-hmm. it was ever a company, just explaining how I teach my classes at, at my gym and uh, uh, it, could I help people with that, you know? Are there some key like principles you can share about? like maybe from the ebook or just maybe something one of the instructors said in one of the videos that you know just kind of gives people like a general idea of how they can kind of make jujitsu a little more simple of course yes so i uh when i um you know i did this just because i was uh working full-time and teaching full-time i needed a simple way for curriculum right yeah um i don't like the idea of having a curriculum of these are the moves that you should know but um, I found that my students were getting better and enjoying it more when we would focus on a position for a longer period of time than a week, right? Because I was yeah. just doing a new position each week. It's kind of random. And um, I found that like usually that month, you know, month to six weeks, people really enjoyed and people seemed to progress the most. And we would um, – and if you ask any like high-level guy – they're always big on positional sparring, right? Yeah. And so we know that. We know that positional sparring is important, but what the heck do you positional spar, right? Um, should you, you know, you watch the world. You know, there's a million positions that these guys get into. And so the idea was this. I watched, I think it was 2017 Worlds, and we just kind of looked at what positions were happening uh, in the gi, right? Uh, mm-hmm. This is the, 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 you can do the same thing in no gi, but the positions are different. 
Um, and so we found that there were five main positions that like 90 plus percent of jujitsu was happening. Right. And so, uh, they, they were like established positions. And so what we started to do was, um, five months, uh, we would just take, and we would work one position, one of these positions each month And my, uh, I have different coaches at my gym and not just me. They would kind of teach the concepts that they wanted to cover and the moves that they wanted to cover from the position, but we would all stay on the same position. We would all stay positional sparring that position for a month, right? And so the theory is if you do this, and then the six month, um, each year we would, we'll do something miscellaneous. Like maybe we'll do uh, leg locks or we'll do takedowns or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But uh, that's kind of how we've hit that, right? And then your second time going through those five months, you really, really see significant improvement. That's like, because you've been hitting that position. Let's say the the position, yeah. uh, let's say it's side control. And so you are doing side control and you're feeling really, you're feeling all right at escaping side control. That's what I would say you should start with when you mm-hmm. first start jujitsu because that's where you're going to be, right? Yeah. Um, I love the idea of teaching somebody something from closed guard because that's like the essential thing of jujitsu. But the problem is you come in, you're brand new. You're not going to be in closed guard. You're going to be in bottom side. (laughs) Good luck getting there. (laughs) Right. And so you start to learn this. You start to learn. um, You start to learn bottom side control. We work on it for a month. So now you've spent an entire month of positional sparring bottom side control for most people that just roll live. You've spent the same amount of time, but at least you have uh, defined goals. You kind of understand the position. After the five months of going through the other, you know, five positions that will work, you come to bottom side control again. Your bottom side control is insanely better. And it's because you had a really good foundation. You understood the important concepts of the position. Obviously, then you're put there a bunch during the next six months. But yeah. then when those guys got to the second time around of any position, they would always go, oh, man, it really clicked for me now that we're working this again. And really, if you've taught jujitsu for any amount of time, if you can get somebody to say, oh, these things are really clicking for me. I know what I'm doing in this position. It's really hard to do that. It's hard to get people, especially average Joes, to that, uh, to that right? Mm-hmm. And so that's why I was really, really pushing it. That's why I was really like, let's experiment with this. And we did it for a year. And I had guys like, um, that were like brand new white belts at the start of it. And they were blue belt by the the end of that year in 12 months, which isn't crazy. It's not like that's the first time people have ever went from white to blue belt in a year, but I had a very good amount of people doing it. And they were all, uh, doing well in competition as blue belts. And so, um, I wouldn't say that that method when you are, are a purple belt is the best method to train. I think you should be, uh, you should positional spar even more defined positions once you get to that like later on blue belt. And that's what we, we have a blue belt and up class. And that's kind mm-hmm. of how we, um, we handle it. We drill more, we spar more uh, a really specific positions, what you really want to work on. But for what we call the essential, the five essential positions of jujitsu in your first year, you are now good at those and you are you now know those and you don't have these gaping holes where you're like, I don't know how to open the closed guard as a blue or mm. a purple belt. Right. Which happened to me, you know, like, uh, and I think that happens, that happens to a lot of guys is yeah. they have big gaping holes cause you're allowed to build a game around missing, having missing pieces, mm-hmm. uh, in training that way. 
uh, you're not allowed to do that. You have to train in these missing pieces. Does that make sense? I hope I didn't. Oh, no, no, that makes perfect sense. It actually reminded me of kind of my start in jiu-jitsu because I started, um, I think I was 21 when I started, so later than a lot of people, but I was in college, so I would train at a school when I was um, in the town where I was going to college, and then I'd come back for breaks and train at a different school. So it was not the fault of the professors at the schools, but I was just kind of getting like a lot of different pieces. And I feel like that's still one of the biggest challenges for me is like getting good at the transitions in jujitsu. So I feel like being able to narrow it down to certain positions that are all, I'm sure all these positions are connected, the ones that you narrowed it down to. So like being able to be comfortable in those positions and then kind of understanding how, how they connect Man, I feel like that would have been huge for me because <laughs> I was learning, you know, pr pretty random techniques um, and then just trying to find like which ones felt right for my body type and then just putting more time into those. But like you said, I think that type of training can lead to a lot of holes in your jujitsu. And I think that that's important. Let me ask you this. So you um, now do you feel like that there are that, you know, of like uh, big holes in your game? Yeah, I do feel like there's holes in my game and I feel like. I know what they are, which is a good thing, but um, I feel like it took me a while to even like figure that out. Like I feel like even looking at some like my early competition matches at Purple Belt, like I can see a lot of like the same mistakes. And yeah, so it's been it's been pretty interesting, like kind of realizing that, um, just like seeing where the gaps were in my training and kind of how to fix it. So I feel like I've closed up, you know, some of them, but I definitely still feel like there's some holes in my game that I'm working on pretty much every day. So how are you working on those holes? Um, well, some of them are like, like I said, they're like connecting different positions. So I feel like sometimes if I, you know, like, let's say I'm positional sparring, like daily heave or spider guard, I don't feel like there's like, like, obviously I can improve in those positions too, but I don't feel like there's like massive holes or I'm getting past like right away. But I feel like sometimes when I'm transitioning between guards or if I'm, if I'm unable to like off balance someone from a certain position, I need to switch grips. I feel like that's an area where I usually get in trouble when I have to like make a change. So I, I mean, my coach has given me like some really, really good tips, like how to fix that. And it's been working really well, but I think it's not really a habit yet. It's not like ingrained in me. So I have to think about it, which can sometimes create like moments where there's an opening for someone to pass. That, that makes perfect sense to me, man. That's a really yeah. tough, I feel like that's one of the hardest things is, um, or it's called managing connections, right? That's one mm -hmm. of the hardest things in jujitsu, but that is what that is what jujitsu is. If you don't have connection, you're not doing jujitsu. Right? Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, being able to to manage those and have specific grips. So, um, I'm sure, obviously, you have a phenomenal coach. But is it okay if I give you just a little advice that would be what I would give to somebody? Always. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So, um, yeah, I just, I hope I'm not overstepping on this. If it sucks, You're you not. just <laughs> cut this part out of the, <laughs> of the podcast. Um, but I would say this, it's, this is specific from, um, guard when uh, like open guard, uh, when it comes to playing bottom or top, I would say, make sure that you always have, um, the same starting grip. Okay. Uh, and my reason behind that, and, uh, I'll, I'll use the, the, the best coach and the best competitor right now, um, as my example, you know, they always talk about Danaher always talks about systems, right? We have these systems in jujitsu and then what everyone does now, I do the same thing. We 
um, sell a instructional and that system word really works. And so we put that word on the system. But a lot of times um, that, that what we're showing, uh, not me, I really, I really try my best not to do this, but um, I'm sure I still do it. But uh, a lot of times what people will do is they put the system name on a series, okay? A series is just a group of three moves or four moves or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. A system, there's something that makes a system different, is it always has the same um, step one, okay? That's what makes a system a system, okay? So what I mean by that is let's say that you are playing um, – you're playing De La Hiva, okay? Your first grip from De La Hiva is probably going to be ankle, right? So you get used to – Or pants. Yeah, or pants, right? Ankle or pants, okay? So you're going to do uh, De La Hiva from ankle or pants. Now, what is your next grip with your right hand? Sleeve. Same sleeve, side which, sleeve. Same yeah. side sleeve? Okay. And so if you do that, what if I keep that sleeve away from you? Um, then I usually grab the same side collar. And that's same something that our – yeah, our coach – Kind of talks a little bit. I don't know if it's a secret, but he he's put it on his Instagram story, so I feel fine revealing it. But he talks a lot about when you control the cross collar and you have you know like a traditional collar sleeve with the cross collar grip or even the ankle grip. It's pretty easy for someone who's a really good passer to step over that free leg. So he emphasizes controlling both sides of the body. Like if you have a same side collar, you're controlling the far shoulder and then the near leg. So you have like diagonal control over different sides of the body. But yeah, that that's usually what I go for. Yeah. And see that. So now you have, okay, now let's say I don't let you control that. What if I'm super postured up and I'm not controlling that? Will you go probably like um, sit up guard, right? Yeah. Usually if they're like really postured up and I can't reach anything, I'll usually try and like sit up and like just come up on a single Okay. Yeah. So, okay. So that's what, that's what, mm -hmm. so that is, um, what you would consider. That's what I would consider a series, right? Now mm -hmm. let's say we're disconnected from open guard. Now this is all bets are off, right? Uh, we're yeah. disconnected. It is just, <laughs> it's, it's craziness. Right. And so what you need, if that is your series to turn it into a system is you need a foolproof way to force me to step that foot in the middle so you can get that first grip, right? Because you already have a complete series. You know if I grab here, you should grab here. If mm -hmm. I grab here, and that's hard, right, for people at yeah. first, but you know, you're good at jujitsu, so you know that, right? But what you'll find if you started to just pay attention, if that's what you work, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, I don't want you to unveil your game for all of your competitors, no, all, all, all of your <laughs> opponents that are trying to beat you. Uh, but if that is your game, in order to start your jujitsu to get into your game, you need that first step, right? Um, you need th to get that pant grip, correct? Or that ankle grip, right? Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, that is what makes it a system. If you watch, the example I always give is if you watch all of the Danaher guys, they always play seated guard. They all use the same system, right? They always yeah. play seated guard. The first fight is always the two-on-one on the hand. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and then when you pull away, they do. I I, I always call it like the Marcelo sweep, right? They go angles yeah. behind you, or they, they call it double coachy, like the double yeah. foot sweep. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, that is, but the first step is the most important. If you tried to play their game and you didn't do the first step where you have that hand fight, what would happen is you wouldn't be able to play that game because I would create angles on you or step in the middle too deep, right? But just being able to do that. So that's I, what I, you'll find a lot of times when it comes to getting past and getting swept 
is that you don't have good ways to get to your first grip mm-hmm. to get into your jujitsu. Does that make sense? No, that makes perfect sense. And I was just thinking like a few steps ahead, like sometimes because we don't have like a gigantic gym. So we've all trained with each other like a lot of rounds. Uh-huh. So now a lot of times since a lot of people, their A game is daily Hiva, people will lead with the hands and keep their hips back and try and do right. like Toriando type passing, whatever controlling the pants, you know, mad dog style with like the cross grip on the pants. Uh-huh. So now I'm working on playing more double sleeve and kind of threatening some sweeps, um, like kind of like going Leandro style, like underneath the leg uh-huh. from the spider lasso. Yeah. And then when people, you know, accept that that's a threat, then they'll usually step their legs forward and then you can kind of get to the ankle grip. So yeah, I'm so- trying to work on connecting a lot of different positions. <laughs> I'm still like, it's something I think about a lot, but, and I change my mind about it a lot too. Like, how I'm going to do it, but yeah, no, that's amazing advice. I would I, almost argue to either do, either do the dual sleeve or the De La Hiva. Um, because like you said, people's response is to get your, to fight to your pant legs. Cause then you can't get yeah. the De La Hiva, right? Mm-hmm. Then it's hard to get to the setup guard. It's hard to do all that stuff. So what you do is try to create a game that forces the De La Hiva because, and I just look at this, um, from the argument, not that you can't be good at both, but from the argument of mat time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you will, you know, like w- whether you have a job or whether you, you know, have a podcast or whether you're even if you're a coach, everyone has a finite amount that they can of time they can spend on the mat, right? Yeah. If I split that up between two positions, I'm gonna get about the same level on both positions. If I can figure out a way to avoid one of those positions and always force the other one. Then what happens, because like you watch Leandro Lowe, Leandro Lowe plays that sleeve underneath. He plays one yeah. freaking sweep, right? One he sweep, his whole career see, almost. Right? Yeah, it's you crazy. don't see him, and he has a million ways to get to that sweep. That's his yeah. system. It's like he forces you to play the way that you don't want to play, right? Yeah. Um, the way that you you don't like, oh, I have to avoid the sweep, but he forces you into that sweep. And so once he gets those grips, he has been in that position an insane amount of times because he's not just um, playing whatever they give, right? Mm-hmm. He is forcing his one thing. So that's what I always look at. Um, you know, I play uh, a, a lot of cross sleeve, okay? So, um, uh, you know, that's like that's like my favorite, um, favorite grip or two-on-one on the sleeve. And uh, so I play a lot of that. So instead of like if somebody's keeping their sleeve away from me, what I do instead of being like, well, his sleeves away, I'm just going to play collar grip. What I will do is I will kick their thigh to try to get them to reach down to my foot, strip the yeah. grip, feed my cross sleeve. Right. Mm-hmm. And so what you do is like all roads kind of lead to that same uh, same position. And then it prevents you from having to focus on so much stuff. Right. That's the version. That's what I would consider simplifying jujitsu. Like I'm just going to go in and only focus on what I'm good at. And then how to get to what I'm good at, right? Because I can't be, I can't be good at all these other things. You know, these guys are too good. You know, and so like I tried to limit the amount of grips, not the amount of grips that I grab, but the amount of grips that I actually have offense from to like one or two things from top and from bottom. I don't switch grips a ton unless I am switching to get to where I want to be. Does that make sense? Makes perfect sense. And it's I think it's such an amazing like piece of advice for people. Cause I remember back in the day. Guilherme Mendez was talking about this, but he was talking about it from like a passing perspective. 
And so his main thing was to to step over the leg and initiate the knee cut, but he would have the same side collar grip and then the pant grip. So like almost like the long step grips. Right. Yeah. And he talked about how he could connect all these different passes from there, whether it be just going to the knee cut, if he, he could do a long step, if people, you know, kept that, that top knee as like a knee shield or whatever, he could jump to the other side, do like a leg drag variation. So yeah, it reminds me a lot of a lot of that. That is exactly – have you guys had John Thomas on this show? No, not yet, but I, okay. I've listened to a bunch of his podcasts. Okay, so yeah. Talk so, about it. yeah. So he's um, – that's actually – so um, we're from the same area. And Has so he been on your podcast? No, he's never he, – John Thomas is he's, – he's crazy, man. He'll <laughs> You'll try to get him on and he'll be he'll like, yeah, yeah, I'll be on. And then he's like, yeah, I'm in uh, – you know, I'm in some country you've never heard of teaching a seminar. Can I do it later? And like, dude, he's – He's everywhere, but he is uh, he is a absolute genius when it comes to jujitsu. Mm-hmm. And so that was the first time I remember the first time that I ever heard this was he was talking about why he just steps in his leg in the middle to start to uh, when he's trying to pass. Um, and I said, well, but don't you get put in daily heave all the time? And he goes, yeah, exactly. He said, that's your option. So you put me in De La Hiva and he goes, every time you do that, I am now getting better at passing De La Hiva. And so yeah. he says, you know, like if I force the same guard every single time I pass, then theoretically I'm going to get to spend more time working passing against this guard than anyone else is going to spend. Whether it's your guard that you want to play or not, I've spent all my time forcing this guard and then being good at passing this guard. You know, yeah. and so it's just like they're just – you know, it's like we were saying, there's just you need three lifetimes to get good at everything in jujitsu. So yeah. why not get good at like one thing in jujitsu and then just force it all the time? For sure. No, that makes perfect sense. And I feel like too, like a lot of the guys, like like Leandro's like a perfect example. Like I don't think there's I mean, I'm sure there's he's doing things that I'm not picking up when I'm watching him compete, but it's not like he's doing something crazy technical that no one's ever seen before. Like probably most people have seen that sweep, have seen his knee cut pass, but like just just the way he's able to to time it, like when to go for it, like you said, how to set up the grips. Like there's there becomes like almost more details when you focus on one position. There's mm-hmm. so many different things to think about. So it's like he has all, like mastery of all those little things around even just getting to the position, when to do the move, all of that stuff. So mm-hmm. it's it's crazy. It blows my mind when I think about it like that. Yeah, it, seriously. <laughs> That's awesome. So do you want to talk a little bit about your match uh, coming up with Andrew? Because we've had Andrew on our podcast a couple times. We know he's a wild man. He's super fun to watch compete. Um, super fun to interview, too. You should have him on your podcast after you guys compete. <laughs> yeah, for sure, man. So, yeah. Yeah. Do you want to talk about talk about him as an opponent and kind of what you're doing to, to get ready for that? Yeah, man. So, um, Andrew is nuts, man. He <laughs> is. And he'll tell you that. He is. Yes. You know, that his ability and you, know, you and I actually talked about it just for a second um, to start, you know, to start the, the, the show. Uh, his ability to be different with the way that he plays jiu-jitsu is so yeah. hard. Um, it, it really, you just can't mimic it. You can't, mm-hmm. you can't tell these guys that you're training with, like, hey, I need you to have the most explosive knee cut in the world. <laughs> you, know, you just can't, right? Um, yeah. You can't tell your guys that you're training with, hey, 
uh, I need you to be able to go super hard for seven minutes. And because I think that's how long our matches are matches either six or seven minutes. I don't know. Oh, it's okay. hard to keep track of that stuff. But uh, <laughs> the uh, rules, you, you, I mean, exactly. Yeah. Right. And so it's hard to, to be able to tell your guys like, hey, I need you to be able to go that hard that long. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so it, it's like it's a really unique matchup because uh, most of the time I kind of keep things kind of consistent. I will focus on if my guy plays really good lasso, you know, I'll focus on really be, making sure I'm sharp at passing the lasso. But mm-hmm. the big thing, like I said, is getting my good grips and avoiding the lasso, right? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. That's where I feel like I'm winning. The, the tough thing um, about Andrew is the, t- the best things that he possesses, the things that make him hardest to deal with, uh, they're not, they're not techniques. They are who he is. He <laughs> is so strong, so athletic, so flexible, and has such good cardio, right? Yeah. And so, you know, you can have the best technique in the world, but if he wears you down, he's going to finish you. You know, there's just, you know, you're going to get tired. Technique doesn't work when your body doesn't work. Right. And yeah. so, uh, so that has been, uh, that has been like a unique thing to train for. And it has been so much fun uh, to train for because I, without a doubt, I'm in the best shape that I've ever been in um, mm-hmm. because I have to be, you know, like um, even, even in seven minutes, you'd be like, oh man, you know, you could do anything for seven minutes. If you have ever gotten a role with Andrew, uh, you know that his ability to wear you down and just to suck the life out of you. <laughs> is it's it's insane and so you know obviously staying relaxed is important not Mm -hmm. getting behind is important keeping connection is important but you still do you have to be able to to get at least close to him physically um Mm -hmm. to, to have a chance and so that's kind of uh that's kind of what i'm excited about is that um, that's what I've really been focused on is, you know, obviously technique and, and really focused on, you know, playing what I need to play to beat him, but also, uh, making sure that I'm in shape to even be able to compete with him, you know? Yeah. So are you guys around the same weight class? Is, yeah. So he, he kind of jumps around in, in weight, so I don't really know what man. he, what he weighs. Um, and honestly, I'm probably, I, I do the same thing. Like I just compete, you know, but, uh, um, I, we're competing at 190 and oh, so okay. i think we're both right there right um, around that yeah and so uh you know or we're both really close and mm-hmm. it's like morning up way in so it's not like either guy can cut uh either guy can cut a bunch but like yeah uh, with him you just see him compete at everything at any weight yeah. class doesn't matter you know i, I kind of like that because i think that's that's probably like you said what you guys are generally walking around at you're not like trying to cut weight or go up in weight so it's it's pretty I would say size-wise, it's a pretty fair matchup. Yeah, for sure, man. Yeah, that's awesome. So, like, you mentioned that it's hard to mimic him. So what are you doing differently than, like, when you're not – let's say you're not preparing for a tournament. You know, you're training your normal day-to-day training with your students or with whoever you train with. How is that different from what you've done since you got the matchup? So for me, I'm generally big on uh, – uh, you know, really, really technical training and trying to protect my body when I am not getting ready for a tournament, right? Because yeah. um, I don't need to have the same focus on being in shape when I'm not going to compete, right? 
Um, I just need to be in shape enough to make it through training sessions, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and then training is is uh, uh, usually positional sparring um, and, and pretty technical trying to, like I said, force what I'm good at. And uh, um, that's what most training is for me. Well, with him, since I needed, um, you know, this is like only the first, is this, I think this might be the only time I've competed this year uh, because of the pandemic. Maybe I competed mm-hmm. once at the very beginning of the year. I'm not sure. But uh, so what I've been focused on is um, having guys try their best to wear me out. Right. And so what we've been doing is uh, like rounds with like, uh, you know, we always call it like shark tanking, like mm-hmm. where, you know, um, I'm pretty sure our match is six minutes. So we've been doing six minutes. Um, <laughs> And then new guys in each minute. And really, mm-hmm. obviously, their goal is to score on you or whatever. But really, their goal is to wear you out. So meaning like um, when I score on these guys or I'm close, all they're trying to do is stand up. All they're trying to do is get out, right? And yeah. so then it forces me um, to be able to manage, right? I have to manage like trying to score without wearing myself out too much. And then like doing that multiple times in a round or in a day, uh, is really, really exhausting because those guys, um, you know, it makes it really nice when not everybody's getting ready to compete and all their job is, is trying to help you get ready. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's really nice to have that with your training, uh, with, with your team. And so that's what we've been doing a lot of to make sure that, uh, you know, I am in shape and, uh, you know, able to hang. Yeah, that's awesome. No, I feel like that is probably exactly what I would tell someone to do if they're preparing to compete against him is like have fresh guys <laughs> rotate in on you and mm-hmm. you know kind of have them just go crazy yeah <laughs> go and, wild and, just, and try and wear you out <laughs> exactly and that's like and that's the the most exhausting thing um and i feel like now i'm in shape to be able to handle these things and normally i don't think i would even if i was getting ready to compete um i don't know if i would be in shape to handle them to this extent um but it is like the finishing of sweeps and takedowns right that's what i always tell my students that's the biggest difference between competing in the gym is guys well and getting and guard passing guys do not let you finish those positions guard passes um sweeps or takedowns when their butt touches they're exploding and trying to get up and in the gym a lot of times their butt touches and they're like oh now i'm gonna play guard right Mm -hmm. Uh, and so having guys that do that during those one minute rounds it's been horrible. You know, I hate, <laughs> I hate my training partners during it. Right. Um, but it's like, it's so important for a match like this. Mm-hmm. And I want to correct myself a little bit. I said, it'd be good to have your training partners just go crazy. But like, obviously Andrew is really technical too. He's not, yeah. he's not just going crazy. He knows exactly what he's doing. <laughs> I don't think you need to correct yourself. I think people recognize <laughs> yeah. I think body of work wise, people yeah. recognize that he's, you know, obviously on top of being good at jujitsu, he's also, you know, but the, that is like, that's what separates him. I guess you would say, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a lot of guys are good at jujitsu. Uh, you could probably get a guy that has the same a technical level of Andrew, but not wouldn't have the same success because they can't go as hard. You know, and he can go as hard. Not, it's not just like he's gifted to be able to do this. He also just trains it so hard. Yeah. You know, um, you know, the, the, I, I, the, the documentary stuff that's come out with those guys, it's not exaggerated at all. They are all, they're all that crazy. They all <laughs> go that hard. They really do. And they have, and it's not like this just started happening a few months ago. They've been doing this for years. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, we're, we're from the same, we're, you know, we're probably an hour and 10, 15 minutes away from them, I think. Um, yeah. So it's not, you know, like we've known forever. All the Midwest guys have known forever that they, all these guys live at the gym and they train so hard and uh, they're good. For sure. So, so when is that match? And uh, is there a way to like watch if you're at home? Is it because it's not on Flow Grappling, is it? No, it's not. It's it's October seventeenth. The only way to watch is to be there live. Last time they did a live oh, stream. Okay. Um, it's Fuji World Pro. Um, they're they're new. They were Respect. Um, the the company mm-hmm. was Respect, and then I guess I I assume they got bought out by Fuji. And um, you know that was uh that was not long ago. I think there's only been maybe two i think it's only the second fuji world pro i'm not maybe it's a third um but uh uh you know they they did a live stream last time and it wasn't very good and so they i think they're waiting to do um a live stream until they can guarantee that it's going to be a really good live stream Mm -hmm. well if you can do me and jake a favor and get that match filmed and send it to us we'll we'll do we'll keep it to ourselves but yeah i watch that (laughs) no i if if i lose though i'm destroying the thing so you guys will know yeah you guys will know it just cuts at the part where you start losing like yeah i won uh two nothing (laughs) yeah well no i'll just send you guys a message like hey uh um the camera didn't work, and um, <laughs> it's really staticky. It was foggy in there, so you couldn't really see. Uh, we actually didn't even compete against each other. Uh, now that I think about it, we didn't even uh, the match didn't even happen. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what happened. <laughs> that's hilarious. Is it in St. Louis? Uh, yes, it is in St. Louis. Awesome. Cool. So, dude, I feel like taking up a lot of your time ready today. I, like I said, I really appreciate you uh, hopping on and. And being the guest, because we, like I said, we wanted to have you on forever. So really, really appreciate your time. Um, is there anything else you wanted to to touch on, or any like sponsors you want to thank, anything like that? Um, nah. <laughs> Just uh, I hope you guys got that are listening got something out of it. Um, you know, my sponsors that I have and have had for a really long time are Leo Optics and Fuji, and so awesome. I love those guys. They've always taken really good care of me. Um. You know, any chance I get to shout out to Leo Optics, I always love to because they are uh, like I obviously like they they make really cool stuff. They make really cool sunglasses. They do really cool mm-hmm. stuff. Um, but the way that Lionel treats people, um, especially people that are like his sponsored athletes, uh, it's 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 over the top. And so I really have always um, any chance I get to to mention um, to mention him is. Uh, I, I was trying to because he really is uh, amazing. If you guys enjoyed me talking about simplification of jujitsu, check out simplifyingjujitsu.com. Uh, and uh, I've heard a lot of good things about it already. And I know your knee cut instructional on BJ Fanatics has gotten great reviews. So definitely, guys, check those out. Um, Josh is a really good teacher. I know that for sure firsthand. I've trained with him, really good competitor. So definitely, definitely keep an eye out for all the new stuff coming from Simplifying Jujitsu, too. For sure, for sure. And if you guys, um, if you guys sign up for the free Simplifying Jujutsu ebook, you can add it to my email list. And I send out like motivational type Jujutsu emails probably every other day. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I send out quite a bit of stuff, and uh, it's just I, I enjoy doing it and uh, just explain what's going on, what I'm training, what I'm thinking about, anything like that. So if that interests anyone at all, uh, be sure to just sign up for that uh, free ebook at SimplifyingJujutsu.com. Awesome. And what about your podcast? 
Oh yeah, I have that too. <laughs> the I the I suck at jujitsu show. Uh, it is the the idea of it is um, you know looking at jujitsu from the perspective that you suck and trying to learn from um, people how to uh, you know hijack training. You know how yeah. to uh, have jujitsu training hacks, and For that's sure. kind of the goal of the podcast. It's an awesome podcast. I listen to so many of the episodes and you have really cool guests. I love how a lot of them are from the Midwest just because yes. I'm from the Midwest. So it's like cool to, to hear those people and, you know, just kind of keep up with them. And it's awesome. It's a great podcast. So everyone should listen to that. Yeah, man. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Uh, yeah, I know we, I know we, we both were discouraged that, uh, I was being interviewed on this and we didn't get to do <laughs> no, the interview that we not wanted, at all, not at but, all. uh, you know, I'm glad, I, honestly, I'm really glad that we got to, it was fun. Yeah, me you, man. too. Yeah, it was so fun. And we'll definitely have you back on when Jake's back. Um, when you guys listen to this, Jake's currently in Florida, but he'll be back when probably when this episode drops, but definitely send him a message and congratulate him. Cause he fought, fought some of the best guys in the world. He fought super good like barely missed the podium in the open class and in his weight class. So yeah. And that's, everyone knows how tough of a tournament pans is competing at adult black belt. So definitely reach out to Jake. Um, and yeah, so our sponsors are Electrum performance. Uh, if you use, uh, open guard cast 25, you can get 25% off all their products. They have like pretty much new products dropping like every single month. So if you want to change up your, your strength and conditioning routine, they have new programs that they drop. Like, like I said, every, four to six weeks so you can always like change things up and everything specific to jiu-jitsu so definitely check out electron performance and the podcast that we did with alex sterner and alex bryce and then as always we want to thank marcaba bjj marcio andre jiu-jitsu high tier photography agro brand and break new ground so Man. yeah so nobody, thanks again nobody josh sponsors we... my podcast <laughs> oh my gosh you know, I, i'll give you some tips after i'm after lucky if i can get people to listen oh my gosh there's a lot of people to thank <laughs> yeah so thanks everyone for listening and thanks again to josh and we'll see you guys soon and we will have josh again on soon with jake as well so stay tuned for that peace see you bud